Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod, um, I hope you're all well this week. Um, and I'm joined by another brilliant guest, fashion designer Kerry Aldo, probably best known for her wax cotton coats, although she's now expanded her range. Um, and we sort of talk about how that's come about organically um, and through requests, um, and also some of the, the custom work that she does as well for clients. And yeah, and, and why she prides herself and her business on sourcing things sustainably and locally and ethically um, and what that means for sort of price points um, and, and practice in general. And we sort of talk about scale, um, which came up in the, the David P. Scott episode um, and the sort of scale of Dundee as a, as a city and as a, as a creative community and the skills and how that works. And uh, yeah, one of the things that amazes me is that, I mean, given all the like the fashion businesses that and, and companies that, that run from here that there isn't someone who services or fixes uh, sewing machines in Dundee um, and I think that's a kind of a symptom of of being that smaller city so you've you've got to work with the advantages but then um, the disadvantages as well so um, yeah and I think that like one of the, the, the big things as well which was really interesting and, and about Gary's career was, was the move that she made down to Leeds um, and then ended up coming back to Dundee which was really nice in that sort of comparison and how I think um, she talks about taking her, her, her career or business to that, that sort of next level um, when she came back and um, the, the challenges that have, that have come with that as well. But yeah, and before we get into the episode, um, there's now a way that you can support the podcast. So um, if you have been really enjoying the, the episodes over the last sort of five years or so, um, yeah, you can now buy me a coffee to support the podcast. Um, so it's ko-fi.com forward slash CCC Dundee. And yeah, you can buy me a little cup of coffee to say thanks. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and thank you to everyone who has already supported um, but yeah, let's get into to this week's episode, um, and this is fashion designer Kerry Aldo. I left school in fifth year to go to college and do a portfolio course, like with the intention of studying fine art, really. Um, and like in my teenage years, I was always into music, so while I was doing that, I was like always going to gigs often. Um, kind of got in more into fashion, like looking at what people are wearing to the gigs and um, the, I can't really say there was more more to it than that than I just, like wanted to be wearing something a bit different. So I just started trying to make stuff for myself. There was never really a, I want to be a fashion designer or I want to study fashion. It was just that I was interested in like the uniqueness of how you could dress differently but you would really kind of have to do it yourself to achieve that, I suppose. Um, and so, like, at that very, like, early stage, when you talk about making your own stuff, like, mm-hmm. what, like what physically are you, were you doing at that point to actually um, make it? It was, it was like, just, I didn't even really know, like, I'd got an old sewing machine off my gran, um, and I was literally, like, putting a top on, on like cutting around it to try and like I didn't even know pattern cutting or anything at that point it was really just just trying trying different shapes and seeing what worked um and then maybe like altering like old things that I had and stuff like that um so that kind of like led me on to then changing my kind of direction on the art front to to then going on to studying fashion and textiles and that's when I started learning about like pattern cutting and construction and just got really interested in the making process. Um and I like how hands on it all was. So um yeah, that's kind of like how I how I kind of changed direction and got into fashion. Um it's just kind of evolved and as I've learned all the skills and that was at Dundee College, um and then I went on to uh, study fashion design for industry at Herit Watt, which is in the Scottish Borders. Um, so the the name of the course is Fashion Design for Industry. Yeah. And of, um, often, like one of the criticisms that people have about university is that it doesn't prepare you for the real world. Mm-hmm. I mean, d- do you feel that that course, once you came out of that, that you were ready? Um, no. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, 
I think it was, I was actually kind of a shock to the system when I went to uni because it was a bit less hands-on than college had been. So it was kind of preparing you for a job in the fashion industry, but I would say a more hands-off kind of job, a more uh, like design and CAD and um, all very like, not all computer-based, but um, nothing like preparing what you would like run your own business as a maker and a designer. Um, so it was quite different. Um, so yeah, it was kind of gearing you up to have that kind of job, I suppose. Um, but ev- yeah, even then, I don't think you would be properly equipped to go straight into the industry from it without like internships and things like that. And um, at that that point, did you have the sort of the drive or the the concept in your head that you wanted to to develop your own like brand? Um, not at that point. Um, there was like one of my flatmate. Well, my flatmate in fourth year at uni. Um, there was a collaborative project we had to do where you had to like we I can't even remember the whole project but what the concept we came up with was her like design style was quite different from mine and we merged the two and made a collection like just just designed a collection um we kind of spoke about that a bit but other than that um it was never really my intention to do what I'm doing now um so where did once you came out of university then what did you go and do so i so it's almost 10 years since I graduated now um so yeah graduated was obviously studying in the borders decided to move back to dundee for the su- the summer um and i just got some like part-time work um I kept doing my making and things on the side. I was just really going to figure out what I was going to do next. Um, I always kept like I always kept a day like to do my own making and things like that, but I wasn't really planning a business as such. And then I ended up there was an opportunity to do like an intern for Haley Scanlon, um, which I started doing that one day a week, and I suppose like. I kept like always kept a day to do my own like designing and making. I done a day like with Haley, then I still done my part time work and I suppose like I'd done that for a while and then I'd made like a quote for my boyfriend and then people started asking and I kind of because Haley was doing it here and my other friend Sam from Isolated Heroes, she'd started her business by then. So I think having them both there doing what they were doing I thought I could probably start doing like my own thing and especially then people had started asking like where Dale got his coat from and there was a kind of building a demand for it before I'd really thought oh I could like get a website and you know do this properly. Um, So it kind of started, I wouldn't say by accident because I was always like putting the work in and like developing my skills and practicing and always kept that up but it wasn't like go to uni start my own business it was never really the proper plan it's just developed over time I suppose. So how did you make that sort of the transition from obviously working with with Hayley to then going well actually I'm going to make this my own thing this is going to I'm going to develop my own own brand own products type Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, it was kind of gradual, really. Um, I suppose for a while I was doing like more working for other people than myself, and then I just done it gradually. Like I loved, I did love working with Haley um, as well. So I didn't like at that point I was learning like a lot there as well, and. Um, generally enjoyed working there so it was just like gradually I'm like oh I am starting to get a bit busier I need a bit more time to try and develop my own business like time to like create like I never really had time to like create samples that I could get photos of I was just making one-off designs for specific people so um, gradually I had two days a week to do my own thing then three days and then eventually 
like I launched my website and I was still working with Haley as well. Um, and then eventually got too busy and just kind of had to be like, let's give it a go on my own, basically. So, um, yeah, just a gradual process. And like what sort of, like when you were first starting out, like what sort of products were they? Obviously you talked about the, the jacket mm-hmm. that you made. Was was that at that point it was just jackets or were you making yeah, other stuff? Yeah, it was only like, I made like all different kind of things throughout college and uni because it depended if there was like certain projects or things. I don't really feel like I developed my kind of style until like maybe fourth year of uni or even even probably after that as well. Um, so it, yeah, it was... The first, like, quote that I would say is, in my, like, Kerry Aldo style, was um, a parka that I'd made for my other half, and it was, yeah, like a fishtail parka. Um, It had, like, repurposed lining from... I'd used, like, two or three old shirts to make the lining up. Um, I've always been quite interested in, like, repurposing and things as well. Um, So, yeah, it was all jackets to begin with. Um... And then when I eventually launched the website, it was mainly menswear I was focused on in first at first as well, but I've gradually introduced women well, women's wear and kids' wear coats. Just again, it's been through demand and kinda of listening to what people would like and have asked for as um kinda of responding to customers' demands. And then again trying to bring in more accessible items like purses tote bags um, that just all have the same ethos of quality and how they're made and um, things like that. So yeah, you talk about like the the, the sort of the, <coughs> the ethos of the of the company, I suppose, and of of you as a person. Um, so what is it? What is it that's really important about what you produce and that you put out into the world? Um, I'm passionate about producing things that are made to last um, and that are made ethically. Um, one of the first things I started questioning when I started learning how to make things was, I mean, it's more in the news and it's more like people know about it now, but at that time, I don't even think I had considered that much um, how items were so cheap in shops, like fast fashion or even like, even like supermarket shops that sell clothes. Like I started questioning like how could they possibly make be made for so little? Um so yeah, that's a big that's a big driver for me as well. I I want to make sure all my designs are made fairly. Um that's yeah, since I started making basically. And so when you say fairly what what comes into that? Like what does what does that that entail? Making something fairly, um, just that the person making making the design has been paid fairly for the work that they do, and like I would say, well, I mean, there's more to it than just fairly. Like there's more goals of like using fabrics that are kind of less harmful to the planet and. Um, yeah, there are various factors I consider when designing something, but that's why I always was interested in the making process and making things myself. Um, is just because, you, like, even in the even like some of the factories down south in the UK, there's stories coming out even as recent in the last couple of years of people being paid like three fifty an hour. Um, and there's like not much transparency through the fashion industry, so it's quite difficult to trace things back and um you can yeah, the transparency is a big issue in the fashion industry, so it is hard to have that reassurance um if you've not like physically been somewhere to see what it would be made like. Yeah, because I mean, we, you walk down the the high street or whatever, and you see a shop like like Primark, for instance, and the the price point is is super low, as you as you said, um, and then that attracts a lot of people in, and um, 
obviously for some people that and especially now the, the way that the country and the world is that that that's a necessity for some people um but the the ethics of it are completely skewed and obviously they're not included in the market and materials or not honestly included in mm-hmm. the in the market and materials of of that company and in order to support like a a local like maker or creative or or a fashion brand there is there has to be a higher price point right mm-hmm. and so yeah i suppose it, it's like it's, I suppose it's getting your customer to value the, the your ethos as a as a designer within that. Um, so how how do you do that? Like I say about how how I've started the business, I I didn't really consider many of these points when I started the business because I just wanted to be making things that were like designs I would wear, designs I like the look of, like the best quality fabric I could source and like making it as long lasting as I could possibly, the best I could do. Um, That was kind of my aim at the start. And it's only kind of more, say after the first few years where I've even considered what marketing is (laughs) Um, or like, kind of educating customers about these things but I suppose the showing the making process as whole has been a big part of it even like you know the cutting of a the cutting of a garment can take a good proportion of the total time um so I've always like I've always tried to show like the work and the detail and things like that that actually go into the process of making a garment um, and I think that has been, I think that has been quite good for showing what goes into it. Um, just like telling people about the type of fabric it is and like how to care for it, specifically with wax cotton, like how to care for it. Um, showing people that it can last longer when it's cared for properly and valued as well. Because I mean, you're probably known for using wax cotton in your mm-hmm. in your jackets particularly but then your other products as well um so like why why choose that how did that come about in the first instance yeah the first i mean i didn't use any wax cotton throughout like the whole of uni um but i went on a fabric sourcing trip to london when we were in fourth year at uni like looking for fabrics for my collection and there was like not quite an off cut but like there was a couple meters of like wax cotton in this fabric shop like it wasn't a wax cotton shop it was just there was like a very small like bundle of wax cotton um i just liked the look of it it didn't fit in with like the designs i was doing at the time because the colors and things like that and i just thought i just wanted to buy it i wanted to try it and like work with it um but i didn't really get the opportunity while I was at uni because I just didn't feel like it fitted the theme of my collection. Um, so yeah, it was just after I'd finished, it was like, you know, one of these days where I had, I thought I'm going to use that wax cotton and make one of my designs I'd made at uni in the wax cotton. And I just kind of, I just loved working with it. It's just a great fabric to work with. Um, and yeah, since then really, um, I've always loved working with it and it was Obviously, I say that I got that in London. Um, wasn't until after I started that I actually realised I could source the wax cotton more locally from Dundee. So, um, so yeah, since since I realised that, I've had like a good relationship with Hallie Stevenson's, who I source all my wax cotton from now, who are also based in Dundee, um, and they're they're great actually because they work with like brands globally globally around the world but they also want to support smaller designers um because there's certain limits on wholesale numbers of like how much you would need to order and things like that and they've always been really good at supporting like smaller designers um to fulfill maybe because i mean some designers might order like a 2000 meter 
fabric whereas they're willing to like come down and work with smaller designers and do bespoke projects and things like that which is really good um it's quite unique i would say for a manufacturer that size and um they're actually quite innovative as well like they're always kind of trying to push the boundaries and like work on their sustainability credentials as well which i really value in a business so um yeah they're they've been invaluable as a supplier to have and it's just great to say that it's also local yeah i mean do they just literally just across the across Mm -hmm. the city um but yeah yeah, because it's amazing that they're such a a sort of global brand if you like but Mm -hmm. they're just in a wee industrial estate uh in Dundee. Exactly. Yeah. Well it says something that people will know about the the bakery more than them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I suppose like obviously at that time you were based in Dundee Mm -hmm. and you were able to source things from like probably a mile, two miles away. Um but then there was a big sort of like I suppose pivotal point in your career where you decided to, to leave Dundee. Yeah, so um it's it's a bit of a silly, not a silly story, but um, I was re- like, I was really happy like living and working in Dundee at that time. Um, and my other half was like doing his master's degree and applied for a job. Um, so I was just doing my thing. I was in Wasps, just had a, a small like base studio in Wasps at the time. Um, I think I'd only had it about eight months. Like I'd actually started like from a mum's spare room like that's where I was like that's where I launched my website from and like started off but I took my wee step to get my studio and then about eight months later we moved to Leeds so um yeah the story behind it wasn't really my I didn't have any particular like calling um uh, um my other half applied for a job which he thought was going to be in Glasgow (laughs) Um, and he got offered the job in Leeds so um, you know you had about six months because it was like a graduate job so we were going down to a gig in Manchester that summer I thought well why don't we go to Leeds for a couple of days after see what it's like we'd both like done a bit of research into it all I was like wanting to make sure there was some kind of like creative community and studio spaces um, so so yeah we went down for a couple of days just to kind of see what it was like and I met somebody from um, East Street Arts which is the studio space I ended up renting through down there Um, yeah and we just we liked it we liked the vibe of the city and um, yeah so we thought we'd give it a go so we moved down there um, I think it was about 2016 so just a couple of years after I launched my website and Probably like, I don't know, I think maybe maybe about a year since I've been doing it like full time on my own, like without doing any extra work. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't have like anyone working with me before leaving. So it was a case of just finding a studio space. Um, that's kind of all I really needed basically. So it was... It didn't really feel like a big decision or a big move at the time, but I suppose looking back, it was quite an upheaval and a big, like, a big thing to do and, like, meeting, like, new people and, like, connecting with creative people and things like that. It's, like, yeah, it's quite a big change, I suppose. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I suppose if you've got that, you've already got an audience, you've Mm -hmm. you've got orders coming in, you can sort of produce them from wherever, as you say, you Mm -hmm. just need a studio space to do that then. Um, I did always find it a bit, like, that was the one thing I was like, I can't put my Made in Scotland (laughs) thing on anymore, so that was always a bit of a, like, oh, I'm a bit annoyed about that, but um, I think that was the worst, like, the one thing I was most annoyed about moving, but I always kind of kept, well, all my family's in Dundee, so, and... Throughout the time we were in Leeds, we always kept a big connection. Like, I always came back and I've always had quite, like, a loyal and, like, supportive customer base here as well. So I always did make that effort to, like, come back and catch up with, like, friends and family, but also 
pop-up shops and like try and get to some like creative events or like things that were happening in Dundee we always kind of connect that connection even though we were living away so um so I mean how easy was it to like then grow a, a like a network down in Leeds and sort of integrate into that that community there um god it feels so long ago now um yeah, I think it was good having like East Street Arts who are like a, they're more like, they're not so much design organisation, but they're like, they're very much an art organisation actually. Um, but it was good to have that because you were connected to people who had studios and were doing creative practices through that. So um, that's where I met a lot of people through just renting the studio space with other artists and designers um so yeah that's mostly where i met people and connected with people and found out what else was going on in the city as well i mean how did that how does it compare to dundee um it's just like a bit i suppose it's quite different um i think i feel like it was more more artists focused in Leeds than in Dundee, where it's a bit more of a design focus here, I feel like. Especially now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was the other thing. I think the V&A opened like the year after I moved. I'm like, everything's starting to happen in Dundee and we were moving away. But no, it was great. It was great as well, like living away in Leeds and just seeing kind of like you can get in a bit of a bubble sometimes and when you're totally in your comfort zone as well, um, which I kind of was at the time because I'd finished uni, come home, like didn't really have much to lose at the beginning because, you know, didn't didn't have overhead overheads as such when I started out and um so yeah, I think it's it definitely like took me out of my comfort zone being away, um, in Leeds and like just meeting other different type of people, seeing how they were like doing their businesses, like all different type of practices. Like I ended up sharing a studio with um, an artist who's a friend of mine as well. And it was just interesting to see how she ran her business um, as an artist. Um, And yeah, I think that was quite helpful as well. Um, I feel like to a certain degree, from what I'd experienced before I left, um, not that people took it more seriously but in a way it was not seen as a hobby if you know what I mean like all the people I met were taking their practice I'm not saying they're taking it more seriously than the people I met before but even other people around them if that makes any sense like yeah I, I think often like even beyond artists, designers, creatives can all be seen as can all be sort of tarred with the same brush. Mm-hmm. This sort of um, stereotype that you're just a poor artist, like mm-hmm. um, scraping to to get by, sort of thing. Um, and there's a real misconception of, of what a creative community is and how many like real viable businesses there are yeah. that exist within yeah. that. So I think that that was like a big thing for me. That I think was helpful because. Like, you know, like that thing of having examples. It's like there was a couple of people I knew who were who were doing stuff here, and but I've never really had that example in in like for a family. You know, like nobody in my family had done a creative business, and they've always supported and like liked what I do. But at the beginning, I don't think anyone really thought that that's what I was going to do forever. If you know what I mean, or even for however long. I do do it. Um, so I think that gave me more confidence, like meeting more people who were taking it even more seriously, if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, I do. But I, I mean, coming back, I don't really feel like it feels like that in Dundee anymore either. So. Yeah, I mean, so how, how do you feel it's changed? Well, I don't know if it's just maybe people like that was five years ago maybe it's just that the people that I 
speaking with were now five years older just like I am <laughs> or or if there's more going on or if people got more confidence here or maybe a mixture yeah I mean I think Dundee has seen like massive change in the mm-hmm. past like five probably ten years and I think we'll always be that bit behind the bigger cities mm-hmm. um, and whether that's in the like the choice of restaurants to eat in or like um the number of creatives that are here or that sort of stuff like yeah i, I do feel like there has been a, a change and a shift and obviously like the, the the big building on the waterfront has <laughs> helped massively with with that and put a put a spotlight on it um but yeah i think dundee for me anyway i always feel like critical mass is a bit of a thing that dundee struggles with um that yeah just having that that the volume of people being such a small city that you need to have such a like a good percentage of, of people interested and up for it and for for what you're doing to make it work um yeah you have to get you have to convince people that this is a really great thing mm-hmm. um and so yeah hopefully i mean it's yeah it's a positive change in those last five years since you since yeah, you came back i think so i suppose i suppose when i started i probably I maybe never even really believed myself it could be what I would do full-time. Like, it's probably a bit of, like, your own mentality as well. And just, I don't know, I remember having a few conversations back then and I could always, like, looking back, I'm like, don't think they thought there would it would be something, you know? Um, but I just, yeah, I just love the making process and always just kept making and didn't really think of a lot of the things that really you do need to be thinking about um i mean it feels like lucky it's worked out (laughs) yeah i mean it feels like your your audience your customer base has sort of come towards you quite naturally do you think that's the case or do you have you put in loads of uh, like work um what kind of work do you mean (laughs) well i mean like to build that audience Um, to make like you talk about like um the pop-ups the things so doing that sort of stuff face to face and building those relationships and building up the the brand in that way yeah i think pop-ups has been good because when you are like especially earlier on like when you are asking or like the product is higher priced than like say high street obviously is higher priced than high street so you know people do need to come and see it and feel it and try it on maybe when they've only seen it online so yeah that I would say that has been a big part of it and I think just like word of mouth obviously I use social media quite a lot um a bit like as much as I hate social media in some ways like I wouldn't have a business without it really and I think my custom I do like custom works well that's what I call my custom service and it's all about creating a more bespoke piece or like you can kind of adapt like one of my styles just to suit your taste better or choose a different line and you know add pockets that are going to make the coat more functional for you so I think that service specifically has been a big part of what like has got people talking about it as well and even more recently I've kind of connected with Chris from Dundee Soul um like we've got like quite similar tastes like he's got don't know kind of into the same kind of style of music and I think like my customers like what he's doing and his customers kind of like what I'm doing and you know he does like the like restoration of trainers specifically Adidas and but also some kind of custom stuff as well so that's been kind of cool seeing another business doing something a bit different and being in Dundee as well. Um, yeah, I mean, he's done amazingly well from yeah. like, especially in the custom stuff. The mm-hmm. audience that he's then generated from that, from a a wee shop on the hill town yeah. type thing, like it's yeah. phenomenal. And he came to, he he popped down to. I had a pop up shop at the the V and A had done uh, the tea green market. It's um, so done that, and he popped down with this guy, and he said like. The guy had drove all the way up from Liverpool, like, and slept in his car overnight or something like that, just to go to his shop. And like, he has examples of that quite often. I was like, that's really cool. That, um, you know, you're doing something different enough that is, you know, people are willing to go that distance and come to Dundee and come to your shop from that. You know. 
Um, and I suppose with the like with the custom works, would you would you rather be doing that all the time? Um. No, I don't think like I I enjoy doing the other stuff as well. Um, I do love doing the custom because it's always like a new challenge and it gives me like it just gives like fulfills that bit of like creative um need. But I love doing all the other stuff as well. I just kind of see that need to have some more accessible items and like some of the things on the website like they are some of my favourite designs. So. But yeah, I don't feel like I could have one without the other. Um, Striking a balance between yeah, them. Yeah, and I don't feel like I could fully do custom all the time because I can never really judge how long each one is going to take, so I can never really balance it. I don't think I could just balance it well if I'd done that only all the time. My worst part about it is like getting back to people on time. So yeah, there is a lot of back and forth when it comes to the custom, which... This is like necessary, it's a part of the process, but if I was doing it all the time, I would never get, <laughs> don't know if I'd get any of them started, so. I suppose as well, if you're doing something that is new and exciting and interesting, you're going to want to put the time into that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, even if like that, that ends up running away with itself. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, you've got to go the extra mile all the time because it needs to be needs to be perfect and we, you sort of touched on it just before but i want to ask you a bit about social media um and obviously it's a, it's a big part of how you built the built the brand and mm-hmm. the company um and you as you mentioned before like you a lot of what you do is showing the process so mm-hmm. showing everything that goes into the the garments and the creation of them um like how do you integrate that so well with your sort of daily like working life because I feel like, for me, social media is the thing that always just gets pushed to the side and mm-hmm. it just disappears. But how have you managed to sort of integrate that so well? I suppose showing how, like, it just comes back to showing how things are made has always been, like, a big part of, like, how I started and how people got interested. I like to kind of show the things that you don't see as well, like, maybe, like, when I'm lining a jacket, I'll show a wee video of like how it's all turned through, which you would never know or you would never see from like buying a coat. Um, so yeah, just kind of giving a bit more behind the scenes of like what actually goes on in the making process. Um, I have more recently been, I've got um, a girl, Danny, who has her own marketing company called Green Creatives. So for the last, about last year, she's been doing a lot of my like posts on my social media, um, and then I just keep up with like showing the making bits and things like that, as and when I'm making. So that's took a bit of pressure off of like, you know, like keeping letting people know like what's coming up or what I've been working on or showing photos of the most recent custom piece. Like she's kind of took a wee bit of pressure off on that side of because it is quite a lot like keeping up with social media, and I suppose probably since I had my wee one as well like I don't want to go home and be like oh I better post something and so I think like that was part of the decision to kind of get her involved with that because I'd sometimes find myself on a Saturday be like oh wait a minute I'm just going to post this quote I made earlier in the week and then I'm like actually I've spent an hour doing that like you know so um so it's been helpful and she's been like if I've got like a new collection or like I've got a pop-up shop or she'll like do a wee poster and kind of kind of takes a bit of the workload off because it is quite can be like a bit all-consuming at times so yeah it can be a bit of a black hole of, of yeah. time as you see yeah. and just like one post or whatever yeah and just suck time yeah. out. yeah I mean it doesn't it shouldn't take as long as that, but <laughs> um I do find sometimes and then the problem is might have like customer inquiries and then the next thing you're doing so I think it's more like then you do that and then before you know it you've been messaging customers or like even friends or like on something else so um yeah it can be a bit of a time um stealer (laughs) for want of a better word and and I mean 
it's just you are Kerry Aldo, you are the company. Um, but as you sort of as you grow and as more orders come in and stuff like that, like how how do you bring that support? And obviously you've talked about it in the sense of like social media, mm-hmm. but what about in like the other areas? Yeah. Um, so I suppose like seeing examples from, like I mentioned when I was working with Haley, like I was working for her freelance. So when I was getting busier in my own business, this is when after we moved to Leeds, um, I, that I started looking for someone freelance um, to kind of, I mean, that's kind of the only way I'd seen it being done before. So, um, so yeah, I started working with a freelancer in Leeds who's a good friend as well now, um, who we worked quite well together because she had her own business doing, like, mainly bespoke bridal alterations. So, I was always busier in winter and she was always busier in summer so we were like really we worked really well together because um she was too busy in the summer to to do much freelance work and didn't have so much work in the winter because wasn't bridal season so so yeah worked with her and and then um yeah I think I had two two like consistent freelancers and leads um and yeah, it just was with people who it fitted in with their own kind of life as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I've managed the demand prior to moving back to Dundee. Um, and as I was saying earlier, I'm just at the point where I am kind of exploring options to kind of support me with with manufacture and also like enable me to focus on custom and like the coats and kind of fulfill the demand so um i have recently got a couple of samples made from a small factory in scotland um who just who i can trust to keep up with the quality and like the ethos and like how people are paid fairly and like the yeah, just the quality of the product, um, which will help me um, continue to take on custom and, yeah, focus on kind of continuing and growing the business, really, in a sustainable way. So, um, yeah, since moving back to Dundee, I've been working with a couple of freelancers here as well and who the two at the moment are both graduates from Duncan Jordanson um, and yeah I mean kind of on a learning journey with us at the moment with the, the new outsourcing because I've never really I mean I've never really wanted to do that as such um, prior to now but I think that having the samples made I mean at Christmas time I got a bit like burnt out because my demand is always quite high it, like quite a lot higher at Christmas time and I don't like letting people down either so um yeah got myself burnt out and I thought like I've got like a young kid and like don't really want to be missing out on everything at Christmas ended up like not well really most of Christmas so we didn't really get up to much and I thought I can't like get myself to that burnt out stage again um so yeah, this is kind of the main reason I've exploring these new options because I just don't want the quality to slip um, and want to keep stick with the brand ethos but be able to like fulfil the demand as well. So so yeah, that's where I'm at with with moving back. But and like it's been good to move back, but also been quite challenging. Um, I didn't really think about it's almost felt like starting a business from scratch at times just because I didn't I didn't actually have any relationships with the type of people that I would need to work with before I left because my business was a lot smaller so so yeah now coming back it's like find a new screen printer find a new embroiderer because they do like custom embroidery on some of the custom pieces and 
yeah freelancers and you kind of take for granted like how long it takes to build a relationship and teach people like although they might have the skills you've not really worked together before um, and on such a small scale like you need to you need to be able to work well together as well so so yeah it's been a bit of a journey kind of setting up again which I didn't really think I didn't really consider that part of the move so much I didn't I just thought it could be just the same as what I'm doing you know um but I think I think we're getting there with it now <laughs> and when so when you moved back you you took a a space at Meadow Mill as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. um so what's that what's that space like like what what is your what do you need in your studio um just yeah I just need a space really like I put all this stuff in it I just need access to a plug <laughs> for my sewing machine um yeah I've I've basically like as long as I've got the space I can put everything I need in it sort of thing so um so you're just running everything on a single sewing machine no I've got um I need more than one plug no I've got um um, the majority like most most of my coats are just made on one machine um but I do have I've got two like it's called the flatbed bed industrial sewing machine and then I've got an overlocker as well um but the overlocker is rarely like isn't really used on coats because again it's just part of the ethos of the brand they don't part of like what makes a garment a bit longer lasting is all the seams being concealed like if if something's overlocked um it's usually like i would use that on like a t-shirt or something but not on a coat because you get there's different stitches and things you can do to be like longer lasting so um yeah most of the coats are just made on one individual machine from start to finish and is that one you've yeah. had like for your whole career? Um, yeah, I bought the. I've I've like. I've actually got three machines now. One's Nina fixed, which is another issue I'm having, um, because um, you need to get someone from outside of Dundee to come and do it now. So I've not actually, because I've got, like I've got another one. So I'm not like desperate, but, um, yeah, I need to give somebody a phone, like. That's another thing I thought. There's nobody here that knows how to fix sewing machines now either. Um, Surely you'd think with like the amount of fashion brands yeah, and well, stuff I've in the city. Yeah, well, I've spoke to a few people and everyone's getting... I think there's someone from Aberdeen who who like, had asked Haley about and I think she's been using this guy from Aberdeen and someone else suggested him as well. So maybe there is. Maybe this podcast will help me find <laughs> the, the person. So um, you never know. Um, so yeah uh, the machine that I do most of my work on is one I bought because I made my first wax cotton coat on a domestic machine which I don't know if you know like the difference so domestic machine is basically like a tabletop machine like you can move it about you could put it it's kind of like I'd say like what a home sewer like a hobby sewer kind of would use Um, and like uh, when we were at uni we used what you would call an industrial machine um it's just more heavy duty basically but i think i went through when i made that first wax cotton coat on the domestic machine i think i meant like went through every family member's old sewing machine like i have broke about five domestic sewing machines like my grands both grands my mum my mum didn't do much sewing but she had a machine from like 20 years previous like from all because people used to do that more than they do now i think um, there was my grand's neighbour as well so I think there was like four and then I had one of my own and I thought I'm going to have to upgrade the situation and I found this machine that I still use um, just on Gumtree and I got it for a ridiculous like 100 quid couldn't believe it um, and I'm yeah, still using it and the guy who serviced it in, in Leeds said that it's like date back from the 60s it's still going and I have got like a new industrial machine but I still prefer the old one 
so I'm not going to let that go anytime soon. Yeah, <laughs> I did get lucky with that machine. Um, um, just before we finish up, I want to talk a bit about the um, the project that you did with the V&A. So how did that how did that come about, and what was the the process of that like? Um, so yeah, it was a bit of an odd one because um, it was actually Hallie Stevenson's that initially got in contact with me about it, and I can't really can't quite remember because um, I was kind of on fake maternity leave at the time where <laughs> when you're self-employed you don't really have it but it was meant to be um, so my son was only about four months old and I was planning a trip to Dundee and Dot from Hallie Stevenson's who's been like she's been great throughout it, she was actually I think she studied textiles but she's like been working at Hallie Stevenson's for, I don't know the whole time I've been in like using Hallie Stevenson, she's been there. Um, she'd got in touch, just saying like, there's a chance of like this kind of project. We, like they basically thought of me um, and wanted to check if I, something I would be interested in, um, like before they go back for another meeting basically. So they'd already spoke to the VNA or the VNA had approached them actually. And the funny, thing is the the original what they wanted was like waxed waxed cotton food wraps or something like that and it's like turned into the Dundee raincoat um so I was never obviously involved in that bit but yeah Dot from Hallie Steams has got in touch and said like that they're currently talking to the V&A and and they'd thought of me and would I be interested in I'd said like obviously I would need to know more about it like I didn't know the expectations of like volume and you know like how it would work in that sense um and then I was coming back for a visit and she'd said like could you come in for a meeting so I initially met with them and we kind of discussed it and kind of decided like what they could what it could potentially be um so that's how it started um, yeah, it feels it feels like so long ago now because this was all before the pandemic and then I think at that point like just before the lockdown started I was going to be coming up for a meeting with like the V&A, Hallie Stevenson's and myself to discuss it further um, and then obviously lockdown I thought, well, this is probably just going to be cancelled. Like, everything's closed. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, but then they were like, well, we'll do the meeting on Zoom. And they were, like, happy just to, like... I'd said I'll make, a like, a sample of my design. And we just done it all over Zoom and, like, kept chatting. The museum was closed. Like, we didn't really know what was happening. Um, yeah, it's all weird kind of looking back on it. I'm like... I remember I had my sample finished, like, had to get Dale, like, my other half, to take photos of me, like, next to the neighbour's garage or something to, like, show off the sample um, and pretend it wasn't the neighbour's garage. Um, so, so yeah, kind of, like, we had several meetings, like, then just about how it was all going to happen, but they were quite, like... They were quite like open and like when I kind of presented the design they were like Yeah, they just totally got behind it. Um like yeah, it was really it was really a good project to work on. Like I learned a lot from it as well because I just work on like one one coat at a time or like with one customer one to one. Um so yeah, it was really interesting for me to like like have the experience of collaborating and kind of like in a three-way collaboration as well. Um, but yeah, it's a bit crazy looking back on how I managed to achieve it. Um, so how would you describe the, the end product then? So yeah, the intention of the designer kind of took a bit of inspiration from um, like the origins of wax cotton and 
like wanted to kind of show a bit of the history of like Dundee as well because Vienna just got that wider audience that but I'm like I've always like kind of kept with my roots of like Dundee I've never kind of shied away from from that so I really wanted to bring that into it um and kind of like show the rich history of like the wax cotton and how it's based here and kind of showcase that as well and kind of merge that with like the aesthetic of the museum and like the sharp lines of the v and kind of took the inspiration on for the pockets but all bearing in mind I wanted it just to be like a sleek looking like it was to be a unisex raincoat um, and yeah functional easy w- easy to wear design um, and then like all the hidden details on the inside um, was just to kind of show the juxtap- juxtaposition I suppose of like what you could kind of find in the museum from like the outer that was like where some of my ideas came from and then the popular element of it I think that a lot of people liked was the patch of like the old ancient Dundee tartan which featured on the inside um, and then each piece was numbered as well um, so yeah it was a great project to work on and I incorporated in a bag as well um, just to like go along with the design um so yeah it was it's a shame because i never actually got up to visit at the time that it launched um which was such a shame because i don't i think it's a bit of a blur all the pandemic ins and outs um but we thought oh, we we're gonna be able to have like a launch and like invite people and so people can see it in the flesh but when it got to the launch point like you still had to like book to go inside the machine so you had to actually book to even go into the shop so yeah so yeah it was a bit it's a bit different than everyone expected throughout the whole thing but it was great that it launched and it sold out pretty quickly as well which then led on to doing like the second edition raincoat so yeah it's been it's been great to work on and I can see like it's definitely like reached different people that I wouldn't have really, like, who probably wouldn't have known about the brand had it not been featured in the V&A. And, yeah, I think it's great that they have, to, like, took that project on. And, um, yeah, I can see that they have been working with more uh, other local designers as well. Um, so that's all great to see, really. And is it it's still available in the V&A just now? Yeah, the second edition's still available in the V&A um, I'm not sure what what ones are left like I think it's I think it's mainly the smaller and the bigger sizes like I think some of the sizes are sold out but there is as far as I know there's still some left so is there anything that you have either like got on the horizon or things that you think I would really like to do that so you obviously talked about that project as a great project to do but is there is there other things that you think oh I'd really like to work with that person or like other little projects that you have in the back of your head for the future yeah there's there is definitely a few like I think um there's always just like a few things I never get around to like I want to I've always like because how it started was I was always making one-off pieces for specific people and there's only so many I can take on like that um, just because of the like I've kind of touched on before on like the process of like refining it and getting to the stage where it's where it's right um, so I've always kind of wanted to kind of not go back to that but create like a one-off collection where it's ready so that people can see it because I feel like some people struggle to kind of visualize what a custom piece would look like without having seen an example so just to kind of go like go my like basically create my own custom collection basically of one-off pieces where I've just went discovering like new ideas and kind of taken it a bit further. Um, so I would like to do that. I don't know if I've explained that very well, but 
just creating a one-off collection basically um one-off pieces which are all different but are which are available that you can see kind of maybe even showcase it um in a different way um and then me and chris from dundee soul have chatted about maybe doing a collaboration sometime but again it's just when you're going to get time to kind of explore these ideas further i think that 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 could be pretty cool um we've talked about it a bit but we're need to kind of refine what we would like to do but i think that i could see a lot of parallels between what we do even though it's quite different so yeah as in like a shoe and a jacket pair yeah potentially so um and i've got something possibly in the pipeline with um something in edinburgh which i don't don't really know it's kind of just in talks as well at the moment so um yeah definitely a few things in the pipeline a few things that i would like to do if i ever get the time and um yeah like i say i've got i've had quite a lot on my plate with like trying to explore this um scottish factory making a few of the things so that's took up quite a lot of my time at the start of this year because part of the process that i actually rarely show as well is about the patterns of the garments um so they're all like from scratch my own designs as well um it's not like buying a pattern and i'm just making making that it's like fully made from from scratch so you've got to grade the patterns, which means you've got it in all the different sizes and um, it's quite time consuming. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, plenty going on, yeah. but um, just finding the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, just before we come to an end, um, is there anything that you could recommend um, that you've watched or listened to or read recently? Um, let me think um, well I'm too embarrassed to mention a few of the shows I've been watching <laughs> lately because I've been a bit of um, trying to escape escapism TV so I don't I know how far I'll go with that fair given everything that's <laughs> going on at the moment yeah. um, but I said also I'm trying to get back into reading so the book that I'm currently reading is um, Sally Rooney and it's our newest book and I can't believe it, we've forgotten the title so that's not very helpful um, I'll, I'll add it in the uh, in the outro <laughs> for you that's shocking um, and I love listening to podcasts um, it, like Chris from Dundee Soul I was loving his but his has stopped at the moment but there's a lot of good episodes that you can go back and listen to of that um, yeah and if people even, are, love this so much they can go back and listen to your episode yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah, um, and yeah, there's a few like different. Oh God, I don't know. My memory's failing me at the moment. Um, I do love listening to podcasts. Like, I feel like I don't listen to many like businessy. I sometimes go through phases of what types I like to listen to. Like, been listening to one recently called The Missing, which is like not relevant to any of the design community or business community at all um which is just about ongoing missing cases um which is quite interesting and there's another one morbid and that's a bit like serial killer kind of theme um those are those are two that i've been listening to recently um and then i kind of pick up like other people i follow like businesses you know if they if they're on one then i'll usually listen to it and then kind of find them that way but that, yeah that's about all really yeah. um, so if anyone wants to um, get in touch find you, uh, commission you for some custom work or um, buy some of the products that you create where do they find you? Um, so um, you can like find me on obviously on social media on Instagram just Kerry Aldo um Kerry with an IE because people often get that wrong in emails. Um, so Kerry Aldo on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on Facebook as well or my website KerryAldo.com. So I've got like 
current collection on there I've got a blog with like some of the projects I've done like I've got more information about the V&A project and um, some other some other collaborations and like interviews with customers as well about like the custom experience and um, that's on there and about the custom process as well um, or yeah you could email me through there as well if you've got like questions to ask about anything okay thanks very much So thank you very much to Kerry for coming and doing the podcast. I think there was there was loads of interest in um, bits in that conversation, and I mean one of them that, that kind of struck a chord was um, that this this idea of of sort of creative businesses that are taken seriously, um, and I think it's still a big problem that we that we face about this sort of idea of integrity and sort of uh, being a commercial business that's seen alongside other professions um, that can be just as, as profitable and as, as long-term sustainable um, and that actually can can bring a much more healthy work-life balance when you have this sort of control over it. Um, it's actually something that's that's going to come up in next week's episode um, with jeweler and owner of Double Doors Studios, uh, Isla Spaulding um, we cover a bit about that as well um, and about uh, sort of creativity being taken seriously um, within Dundee as a city but yeah I mean thanks very much to, to Kerry I mean another person that if you don't know about Dundee Soul Kerry mentioned in there um, the great work that, that Chris is doing um, yeah go and check him out um, I'll put a link in the show notes and yeah, go and check out Kerry's site as well um, and treat yourself to a, a lovely wax cotton jacket. But yeah, um, before I go, if you have enjoyed the episode, um, if you have been enjoying the previous episodes, then there's now a way that you can support the podcast. Um, you can buy me a cup of coffee by going to ko-fi.com forward slash Dundee. Um, yeah, and you can sort of buy me a little cup of coffee to, to keep me putting people in front of the microphone. If you are new to the podcast, um, you can follow on at CCC Dundee on Twitter and Instagram and uh, keep up to date with all the latest releases um, and the new stuff coming out. But yeah, that's it for this week. Until next week when I speak to Isla Spaulding. Goodbye. Goodbye.